the African History Network and my YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. So follow us there also. We're also broadcasting on 910 AM Superstation, WFDF's uh, Facebook page. Welcome to the African History Network show. It is Wednesday, October 13th, 2021, and we are live. So I saw this story um, originally from ProPublica, ProPublica.org, last week. And it's a huge report from ProPublica from October 8th, 2021. And this deals with black children were jailed for a crime that doesn't exist. Almost nothing happened to the adults in charge. Black children were jailed for a crime that doesn't exist. Almost nothing happened to the adults in charge. This is a huge uh, report from ProPublica about what happened in a county in uh, Tennessee. Okay. And this deals, this takes place in Rutherford County in Tennessee and involves a white female judge, um, Judge Davenport, Judge Donna Scott Davenport, who um, had sentenced a number of uh, children, especially African-American children, to detention, okay, uh, to, ju- to uh, put them into the juvenile system juvenile justice system. We're going to talk about this. Uh, Judge Donna Scott Davenport oversees a juvenile justice system in Rutherford County, Tennessee, with a staggering history of jailing children. She said kids must face consequences, which rarely seem to apply to her or the other adults in charge. Now, the majority of the children being sentenced into the juvenile justice system are African-American children. But uh, also what's taking place is that um, they're being, they're being sentenced on for a crime that does not exist also. Okay. So there was a huge uh, expose. I printed this article up and I've been reading through it. This is, is 20 pages um, from ProPublica. I printed it without the pictures. With pictures, is twenty-eight pages from uh, from ProPublica, and the the law, the charge that was made up, uh, the charge that was made up is called criminal responsibility for conduct of another. Criminal responsibility for conduct of another. But it's a it's a fake law. There have been lawsuits around this as well. And one incident took place in 2016. There was a lawsuit in 2017. I've been looking at a number of different sources, uh, pulling together content for this, uh, doing research for this uh, today's show. Uh, here's the article from ProPublica. Black children were jailed for a crime that doesn't exist. Almost nothing happened to the adults in charge. Judge Donna Scott oversees a juvenile justice system in Rutherford County, Tennessee, with a staggering history of jailing children. She said kids must face consequences, which rarely seem to apply to her or the other adults in charge. And I've 
saw a number of different stories on this. Um, there was one piece on MSNBC uh, uh, that I saw this past weekend. Also, Mehdi Hassan on MSNBC uh, ran a, did a story about this as well. Um, I forgot the first uh, piece on MSNBC, American Voices, uh, Alicia, Alicia Menendez. She ran a story uh, about this. Also, uh, the Black News Channel has a good, they did a good segment on this as well. So we're going to talk about this. And um, we're also going to talk about how America criminalizes black youth, how America criminalizes black youth. Uh, Mehdi Hassan uh, on his show on uh, Sunday, October 11th, I think that was Sunday, uh, Monday. It was, it was actually, it had to be Sunday, October 10th, because he's not on on Monday. But Mehdi Hassan on the Mehdi Hassan show on MSNBC, um, he interviewed... And I'm, I'm going to get her name correct here. Uh, he interviewed um, Kristen, Kristen Henning, Kristen Henning. And they talked about this story as well. And they dealt with how America criminalizes black youth. OK, so this also ties into the images of African-Americans that are in the media as well. And the way you treat a people is largely based upon what you think about a people. What you think about a people is based upon what you've been taught about a people. What you've been taught about a people is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about a people. Also, there was some good reporting from uh, WKRN uh, News Channel 2 in the Tennessee area. Right now, on the African History Network show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Because right now, it's correct your own behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow the people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. Uh, I want to remind you, I will be speaking at Hartford Memorial Baptist Church uh, for the Social Justice Conference. I'll be there Saturday, uh, October 16th. Uh, my workshop is 10 a.m., uh, to right about 11 a.m. The keynote speaker this year for their Social Justice Conference 2021 will be Minnesota uh, State's Attorney General Keith Ellison. Minnesota State's Attorney General Keith Ellison will be the keynote speaker for the Social Justice 2021 Conference at Hartford Memorial Baptist Church in Detroit, taking place Friday, October 15th through Sunday, October 17th. Visit their website, HMBC. Detroit.org for more information. Tickets are $25 for the entire conference. HMBCDetroit.org. That includes the workshops as well. Uh, and uh, I'll be there on Saturday. Uh, there'll be, you get the keynote luncheon also. There'll be vendors there. We'll have a vendor booth for the African History Network also. All right. Uh, we'll post information at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, about this as well. Okay. I want to jump into. Um, this first, I want to jump into uh, uh, this topic here. I want to look at the uh, first article. We're going to go to clip one here, uh, Shakita. WKRN uh, Channel 2 in uh, Tennessee has a, a story on this. So I was checking a lot of no local news sources uh, there in the area about this story as well. Rutherford County judge who illegally jailed Black children using fake law faces renewed 
criticism, faces renewed criticism. Uh, a Rutherford County uh, judge illegally jailed children even when there was no crime committed, even when there was no crime committed. According to, let's increase the size of this, according to WLPN and ProPublica.org, Judge Donna Scott Davenport, a white female judge, in case you haven't figured it out by now, Judge Donna Scott Davenport instituted a policy that all children charged with crimes be processed at a detention center. In the year 2016, 11 African-American elementary school children were detained and or locked up after allegedly witnessing a fight between a five-year-old and a six-year-old. Let's go to this clip, uh, clip number one, Shaquille, and find out what happened. Clip number one from WKRN. Okay, uh, just press play when it's ready. Uh, Judge Davenport is the sole Rutherford, S-O-L-E, the only Rutherford County judge, juvenile judge, Rutherford County juvenile judge. She is facing renewed scrutiny over a filter system, what's called a filter system, which allowed jail staff to determine. She illegally Go ahead. Is facing renewed criticism after she illegally jailed black children for a made-up crime. State Capitol News Reporter Florida Jail Harris is here now with more as lawmakers are calling again for federal and state investigations. Gerald, yeah, Bobby, it was 2016. 11 black elementary school children were detained or arrested after allegedly witnessing a scuffle among five and six-year-olds. An alleged crime get this criminal responsibility for conduct of another, a fake law. And according to the report from WPLN and ProPublica, Judge Donna Davenport instituted a policy that all children charged with crimes be processed at the detention center, which included those elementary school students. Rutherford County community leaders and state lawmakers say the actions by Judge Davenport is reprehensible. It's a horror show. Plain and simple, why it's abusive and it doesn't even resemble law. Any system uh, without some proper measure of, of accountability can go awry. And so I think having some seat at the table or some space, whether it's community oversight or whatever the case may be, provide that system with a sense of accountability uh, and responsibility. And Judge Davenport also authorized a filter system which allowed jail staff to determine when a child is released. I reached out to Governor Bill Lee, Speaker of the House, Cameron Sexton, and Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally for comment on the judge's actions and have not heard back. Democratic lawmakers are calling on DCS and federal agencies to investigate. In 2014, 48% of children jailed under Judge Davenport's watch was 48%, excuse me. The statewide average then was 5%. Okay, okay, you can pause, you can stop it right there. In 2014, the you can stop the clip. In 2014, 48%, thank you. In 2014, 48% of children were jailed under Judge Davenport's watch. The statewide average at the time was 5% who were jailed. The statewide average under Judge Davenport in in the county, in Rutherford County, 48% of children were jailed. Quote, we are letting kids fall through the cracks. 
in all different ways. And this is just one more way we have discovered where DCS has dropped the ball and they need to be looking closely at these programs to make sure that they are following our laws. Now in 2016, lawmakers for a federal uh, for, lawmakers called for a federal investigation into the arrest and detainment of black elementary school children in Rutherford County, Tennessee. Representative Johnny Ray Clemens, Democrat from Nashville, Tennessee, who was among those lawmakers in 2016, released the following statement this week. We'll deal with this on the other side of the break. You listen to the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation and Future Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Black on Purpose Television Network. Yes, Black on Purpose Television Network. All black, all positive, all the time. The largest black-owned streaming television network in the world. Bringing our people together worldwide. Controlling our messages, our stories, our way. Black TV the way it should be. Black music, black history, and more. 30 plus channels, thousands of shows. Black on Purpose Television Network. Subscribe now. Laws and policies that put us in this predicament. It's only laws and policies that take us out. So when you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you control the compass of his or her actions because the mind can't do a teach what it doesn't know. We have it all on 910 AM Superstation. 910, the Superstation, Detroit's only African American talk radio. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Wednesday, October 13th, 2021, and we are live. Calling numbers 313-778-7600, 313-778-7600 is the calling number if you have a question or comment. We're going to go back to the story here. Uh, black children were jailed in Tennessee for a crime that doesn't exist by a white uh, county judge. We're going to go back to the story here in just a minute. want to remind you that you can uh, register for the 10-week online course that I teach on Sundays, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Kemet's one of the original names for Egypt. Uh, uh, the Ma'afa is a Kiswahili term, Ma'afa, which means uh, the great disaster that refers to our Holocaust, the transatlantic slave trade. Uh, we deal with thousands of years of history, and we deal with what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. Next class is Sunday, uh, October 17th, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And uh, it's a 10-week online course. Each class we go through and deal with thousands of years of history, starting in ancient Africa, the Nile Valley region of Africa. We deal with the 800-year occupation of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors, and we deal with what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. We do this. We do the classes live. All the sessions are recorded. You can go back and watch it over and over again at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Click on register here. It takes you to the next page. Click on enroll. And as soon as you uh, enroll, you can start watching content. You can watch a class we just did uh, this past uh, this past weekend, and uh, you'll be ready for class on Sunday. Okay, the classes 
on sale, uh, $80, regularly $130. And even after the 10 week online course is over with, you still have access to the full class. You can watch, go back and watch the full class like next year. You want to watch it, you can go back and watch the full class. Okay. All right. So register for that. And we'll talk about that a little more. I want to go back to, uh, this story here. Um, ProPublica, uh, all the news outlets are reporting on this. Um, I've been, I first saw this story, um, October 8th is a big article from ProPublica. You may have seen it on social media. Okay. Black children were jailed for a crime that doesn't exist. Almost nothing happened to the adults in charge. All right. And the crime that they were charged with, uh, we're going to go to click two here in just a second, Shakita. The crime that they were charged with was criminal responsibility for conduct of another criminal responsibility for conduct, conduct of another. Now this also gets into work that people like Dr. Philip Atiba Goff have done, which deals with how African-American children are viewed as um, more dangerous at a younger age and uh, viewed to have a criminal tendencies at a younger age and held to a higher standard than their white counterparts at a younger age, starting at age five. Dr. Philip Atiba Goff has done research on this. You know, we've talked about adultification bias in African-American girls um, as well. So all this is connected and operates within a, a system of white supremacy and racism. Right before the break, we were talking about a statement uh, out of Tennessee from Representative Johnny uh, John Ray Clemens, Democrat from Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, in 2016, lawmakers called for a federal investigation into the arrest and detainment of African-American elementary school children in what Rutherford County, Tennessee. Representative Johnny Ray Clemens, Democrat from Nashville, who was among uh, those lawmakers in 2016, released the following statement this week, quote, as I stated in 2016, there is no rational justification for any of this in our society, but uh, both state and county have obviously failed children and families, predominantly black individuals in this and countless other ways, in this and countless other ways. This has notably been true throughout American history in our legal and penal system. And it's way past time to reevaluate the structural framework, which allows such instances of inequity and injustice. It's interesting that Governor Bill Lee of Tennessee also signed a bill banning the teaching of critical race theory in schools K through 12, even though critical race theory is not taught in K through 12 schools. You remember the story we dealt with the crazy ass woman out of Tennessee who uh, started a petition to uh, ban the uh, civil rights books in Tennessee, civil rights books uh, geared towards children. OK, see, th this is all taking place in, 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 in a climate post Trump. But it's a climate that is targeting critical race theory. Now, keep in mind, so the attack on critical race theory didn't start in 2016, but white supremacy was alive and well in 2016, especially with the rise of Donald Trump. OK, so this incident took place in 2016. There was a lawsuit in uh, 2017 also. And just just connecting the dots and understanding a system of white supremacy and racism, what it is and how it works. 
And this and this whole critical race theory is going to play a part in the 20, uh, 2022 midterm elections. At the same time, you have uh, Republicans trying uh, who keep pushing the big lie like that idiotic uh, like that idi- uh, like the uh, uh, idiotic rally they had at the state capitol. Uh, I think it was yesterday, about 20,000 uh, Republicans up there talking about overturning the election results. They want a forensic audit. Most of them can't spell forensic and they can't tell you what the hell a forensic audit audit is either. Okay. See, this is, this is this whole white grievance uh, initiative that's attached to um, critical race theory that's attached to grievance against wearing masks. Okay. Personally, I hope they stop wearing masks. It's true. The, all, all those dumbasses. If you want if you don't want to wear a mask, don't wear a mask. That's fine. Breathe on each other. Stay the hell away from me. Okay. But anyway, that's just me. Um, Tennessee, Tennessee parents say some books make students feel discomfort because they're white. Now in the article, the parent who started this petition. So remember, we talked about this here. All this is connected. All this is connected because Tennessee is also not saying the whole state, but we're talking about this specific specific county, Rutherford County in Tennessee, is where they have a high percentage of children being jailed, especially African-American children. But this is still in Tennessee, former Confederate state as well. And you remember we talked about this story here. This came out September 29, 2021, CNN. And they talked about Robin Stenman pulled her daughter out of public school over a mask mandate because a lot of this grievance, a lot of this white grievance started with mask mandates. And then it was fueled by Fox News. It was fueled by right wing think tanks and conservative groups to then target critical race theory and most of these people can't tell you what critical race theory is okay and uh this one this right here is is targeting uh four civil rights books for children targeting four civil rights books for children two of them deal with ruby bridges one of them deals with the march on washington for children Another one deals with discrimination against Mexican-American children as well in the 1914s. Now, in May of 2021, Governor Bill Lee of Tennessee signed HB 580, a law aimed at banning so-called critical race theory from schools. Educators argue that critical race theory is not taught or included in K in the K through 12 curriculum and is usually an elective class in college or law school. All of this is connected. All of this is connected because they want to do in the state legislatures, they want to press African-Americans in the state legislatures with the voter restriction bills, and they want to use the the criminal justice system to continue to oppress African-Americans as well as African-American children. So this is all connected. And this is, and, and, and see, politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power, and resources, and the writing of laws, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties, the adoption, interpretation, and enforcement all this is connected. Okay. So while you got some African-Americans talking about not voting all this dumbass nonsense, this is what's on the other side of the fence. They're galvanizing to take back to, to they're galvanizing to take back control of the house of representatives in 2022, take back control of the U S Senate, take back control of the house of representatives in 2022, take back control of the U S Senate. And, uh, also, to further suppress the African-American vote, Latino vote, et cetera, 
Okay, all this is taking place at the same time. All right, now let's continue here. Uh, I want to go back to this one. Let's go back to this article from WKRN. Okay, so this is this is the statement from uh, Representative Johnny Ray Clemens, a uh, Democrat from Nashville. Quote, this has notably been true throughout American history in our legal and penal system, and it's way past time to reevaluate the structural framework which allows such instances uh, of inequity and injustice. Those of us uh, those of us in whom the public has placed its trust have a duty to correct the multi-layered legal and administrative issues facilitating the type of unchecked barbarism, the type of unchecked barbarism, looking ourselves in the mirror as decision makers within an inherently flawed system. We must admit that we fa that we failed too many for too long. As an attorney, I am limit, limited in sharing my personal opinion on sitting judges, but these individuals through their own acts and admissions have proven themselves wholly unfit for the important positions they currently hold. Now, it's important to note that the position that um, Judge Donna Scott Davenport has is an elected position. This is an example of how elections have consequences. This is an example of how it's not just about president, House of Representatives, U.S. Senate, governor. All that's important. But also what's important, also what's important is uh, judges, county prosecutors, things like that. That's, that's important as well. Those positions are important also. Okay. Let's continue here. Now, I want to go to, uh, well, let me continue with this article here from WKRN. In a settled lawsuit in 2016, Rutherford County, Tennessee agreed to pay out $397,500 to the 11 African-American children who were illegally arrested by the police. All this, we got more information on that. The officer who signed off on the charges was suspended for only three days. The officer who signed off on the charges was suspended for only three days. Uh, Senator Jeff Yar uh, Yarbrough, in the clip that we just played from WKRN, uh, uh, Democrat from Nashville, said it's a horror show, plain and simple. It's abusive, and it doesn't even resemble law. Now, as of Monday afternoon, Governor Bill Lee, Republican of Tennessee, Speaker of the House Cameron Sexton, uh, and Lieutenant Governor Rand McNally, all Republicans, all Republicans, did not respond to requests for comment. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Or if the legislature should take this up in the next regular legislative session. Okay. Uh, I want to go to clip number two. Now, this is from the Black News Channel. A really good segment. And they talk to, um, in this segment here, uh, they talked to um, a writer from, I think she was from ProPublica, uh, Mariba Knight. They talked to Mariba Knight, who uh, was one of the writers who wrote this extensive article uh, for ProPublica. Uh, Pro Let's go to uh, clip two, Shakita.
And this hour with an alarming new report based on a joint investigation by ProPublica and Nashville Public Radio. A decades-long system and practice of arresting and jailing mostly black children in Rutherford, Tennessee. At the head, the mother of the county, as juvenile court judge Donna Scott Davenport sometimes called herself, as according to this report. Now the judge calling her work, quote, God's mission, while performing so-called God's mission, as the head of the county's juvenile justice system, allegedly directing police to arrest children at an alarming rate. It was literally a school-to-jail pipeline, according to this article. Among cases referred to the juvenile court, the statewide average for how often children are locked up was just 5%, but in Rutherford County, it was 48%. Joining me now, the co-author of this report, this alarming report, Maribel uh, Knight of Nashville Public Radio. Maribel, welcome to BNC Live. Um, first, it's a pleasure to have you. More importantly, thank you for uh, exposing this. Walk us through how this story came about. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, so the incident you're talking about was a, a mass arrest in 2016 uh, of 11 children that were taken in, uh, all for watching a fight. Uh, the charge was criminal responsibility, which turned out to not even be a real charge, and we get more into those details in the story. But a number of children were swept up in this, and it was really the tip of the iceberg. It revealed something really troubling, a pattern in practice in this county that involved uh, this judge and her appointed jailer that were sucking in huge numbers of children to the juvenile court and the juvenile detention center. Well, let's talk about this pattern of practice. Were you surprised by what you uncovered? Yes and no. I had been following the story for a few years. I had heard from lawyers that talked about the high numbers of children that were being uh, detained and sucked into the system. But what really did surprise me was just how much uh, oversight was lacking in this case. So I knew about what was happening in Rutherford County. I knew that this judge had directed law enforcement to when children were arrested for whatever the alleged crime was, even if it was truancy, uh, to take them to the detention center. And I knew that once they got to the detention center, there was this overly aggressive uh, system that was taking a lot of them and saying that they were a threat and that they needed to be kept. But what did surprise me was that my co-reporter Ken Armstrong and I really found that the systems of oversight were woefully inadequate across the board. For instance, the Tennessee Department of Children's Services, they license every juvenile jail in the state. Uh, this policy for how they detained children was written into the facility's handbook. And the state checked every year and licensed this facility every year, and they never once flagged this illegal system. Uh, so that's just one thing that surprised me. Uh, in a host of, of, of many aspects of the reporting, with just some things were happening uh, that were inadequate in this one county, and then many other things that were supposed to step in to stop this also weren't happening at a state level. Now, but speaking of that, why was there such little oversight from the state level, though? Well, that's a really good question. Um, we went through many years of annual inspection reports for this facility. Um, what they're supposed to look at are things like the standard operating procedures, which 
had this system written down. Uh, when we looked through those inspection reports, they never flagged it. They talked about the cleanliness of the facility, uh, if there was any graffiti, uh, if someone wasn't training CPR, for example. I think it's another example of the Department of Children's Services uh, being stretched, not having adequate people to invest the time needed, but also on a county level, um, there are elected you know, county commissioners who oversee uh, the budget for this place and oversee every month uh, you know, the numbers and the reports that come through it. And we never asked any questions about policy. They really just asked about money, about how many beds were being filled. So it seems to me that there was a lot of passing the buck, maybe, or a lot of uh, inadequate uh, reporting being done, or not asking the right questions, or not being thorough. But at any rate, what it resulted in was decades-long practice of mass incarceration um, and aggressive do you think this would have happened if we were talking about white children and not black and brown children? I know that the system cast a very wide net, but there is a reason why that incident is what starts the article with the arrest of 11 black children. And when it happens, there are two black officers involved in it who are so troubled by it, and they both wonder to themselves, would this be happening at a school with mostly white children? And they don't think it would have. Um, obviously, one of the challenges in this story is that juvenile court records are sealed. So we don't know the race and um, ethnicity of all the children that come through. But in doing many interviews with lawyers who have represented children in the county, just like any other aspect of the criminal justice system, children of color are overwhelmingly represented. Now, in your article, kids as young as seven years old being locked up, the county violating federal law 192 times by keeping kids locked up longer than 24 hours at times, having them locked up up to 10 days. Let's just talk about the psychological impact that this can have on a child, especially one as young as seven. Yeah, it's really tragic. I mean, we've all heard about the science of children's brains and how it's different and how we have to treat them differently than adults. We talked to a number of children who were caught up in this system at varying levels, and the trauma was there for many of the children that we talked about in the previous segment, the 11 children that were arrested. When they got their settlement, because they all sued in federal court, a number of them had money earmarked for counseling, and they went through it, and they needed it. They had bad dreams. They didn't want to go to school. They were afraid that they'd be picked up by the police at any time. You know, we wonder why um, communities of color have such fractured relationships with police. Well, this is an instance where the first encounter they have with them is being taken out of their classroom and put in handcuffs. I mean, just how terrifying, you know? Um, another young man we spoke with who was a plaintiff in the class action lawsuit that was brought against the county, um, Dylan, he was arrested when he was 15. He had never been arrested before. He should not have been kept, but he was kept for four days. He was denied his lithium. He was diagnosed with bipolar and had taken daily medication. He didn't get it. Uh, when he got out, he tried to commit suicide three times in the following year. He had never tried to kill himself before, but when he got out, he was on a completely different track. So the ramifications and the impact are broad. Uh, they can range from things like being scared, having anxiety attacks, bad dreams, to 
you know, um, suicidal ideations and attempts. I mean, it's really runs the game. Yeah, and we know that on top of uh, locking children up at an alarming rate, they were also um, being placed in solitary confinement even after President Obama um, basically had permanently banned the, uh, excuse me, solitary confinement. Uh, The judge actually had to be ordered from the federal level to stop because she continued to practice. Um, Besides healing for this community, uh, Maribah, What's next? Uh, I've read in your report the judge is seeking another term and everyone else who was a part of this is still employed. Yeah, that was a big part of our story. So um, there's been many federal lawsuits that have changed some behaviors for this county. Uh, One of them is the use of solitary confinement for disciplinary purposes. Another is this system that sucked a number of kids in. But the fact of the matter is that the architects of the system are still there. The judge is still the judge. Uh, the jailer is still the jailer. Uh, the judge is up for re-election in, this coming summer. And the only oversight she really has are the voters. So that's really what's next is, will she be re-elected? Um, will there be any more inquiries into the, into the behavior of this county? Um, this is a really interesting story to work on because, like I said, some things have been fixed, but the foundation of all of this is still there, and the attitudes are still there. And the only thing that's been able to intervene at this point is the federal court system. Yeah, and... Um... I know that a a team had recommended creating a statewide case management system in real time um, of Mm -hmm. just the data. Has that happened? Mm -hmm. That has not happened. That is a really great question because a big part of what brought this to light were annual reports that compiled juvenile detention statistics, and those reports stopped being compiled in 2014. So we literally have no idea what is happening to the kids who are cycling through the juvenile court system in the state of Tennessee. Um, That 48% number was from the last report available. So there are 98 counties in this state. This is just one county that we're writing about. Wow. Um, Another question for you. It's just an update on some of the children. You mentioned one of them. I believe he was 15 at the time. Uh, a cousin he was extremely close with committed suicide, just kind of had a wild streak, uh, broke into a few cars. He was a gentleman who was denied um, his medication. What about mm-hmm. the other children? How are they doing? You know, it's hard. Um, we talked to Quintarius Frazier, who is the 15-year-old who was held in solitary confinement for long periods of time, and he was the one who brought the federal lawsuit to stop that practice. When I spoke with him and his mother, you could see the impact. Um, she said he has a hard time focusing. He needs stimulation at all times. Even just sitting down to talk for a couple hours with him was hard. You know, he needed to get up, kind of pace around. Um, he was just on edge. You could see that so many months of isolation and not getting what he needed uh, through the system that he had been thrust into, that it had really impacted uh, his day-to-day existence, the way his mind worked, um, and the way he interacted with people. Uh, so that's just one instance. Um, a lot of the kids from the incident at the elementary school, um, you know, it depends. One girl had dreams of becoming a police officer. She obviously doesn't want to be that anymore. Um, a lot of them uh, did go through counseling, and so they say they're better off now, but 
impact is really, it, it will always be there and their relationship with law enforcement is tenuous. Yes, and there's no telling how many other counties in that state are having, practicing the same type, types of um, practices there. Uh, Maribel, mm-hmm. thank you for joining us. And again, thank you for uncovering this. Okay, pause it right there. Okay, that 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 is from uh, the Black News Channel. That it was uh, Tashani Whitlow of BNC Live speaking with uh, Mariba Knight, who's the co-author of this report. Uh, Mariba Knight of uh, Nashville Public Radio is the uh, co-author of this huge report from ProPublica dot uh, org. Once again, let's go to this from ProPublica. Black children were jailed for a crime that doesn't exist. Almost nothing happened to the adults in charge. Black children were uh, jailed for a crime that doesn't exist. Almost nothing happened to the adults in charge. Now, that clip from the uh, Black News Channel, name of that clip is New Report Shows School to Prison Pipeline in Tennessee. That uh, is from Monday, October 11th, 2021. We're going to go to clip three. Uh, quickly here from Mehdi Hassan from MSNBC. She keyed in just a second here. Um, during the while that clip was playing, I pulled up this report from the uh, American Psychological Association, APA.org. This is a study that I referred to earlier in the show from Dr. Philip Atiba Goff. Um, of the uh, University of California, Los Angeles, black boys viewed as older, less innocent than whites, research finds. Black boys viewed as older, less innocent than whites, research finds. Black boys as young as 10 years old may not be viewed in the same light of childhood innocence as their white peers, but are instead more likely to be viewed let me make sure we have this up here. Okay. But instead are more likely to uh, be viewed to, to be mistaken, but instead are more likely to be mistaken as older, be perceived as guilty and face police violence and face police violence. If accused of a crime, according to new research published by the American psychological association, Quote, children in most societies are considered to be in a distinct group with characteristics such as innocence and the need for protection, such as innocence and the need for protection. Our research found that black boys can be seen as responsible for their actions at an age when white boys still benefit from the assumption that children are essentially innocent, end quote, said author Dr. Philip Atiba Goff, PhD of the University of California, Los Angeles. The study was published online in the American Psychological Association's Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. This piece here is uh, this article from the APA. This is from 2014. Okay, 2014. Now, this falls in line with uh, research that we've seen in the the study from Georgetown Law's uh, Poverty Center. We talked about this before, especially dealing with R. Kelly and tying into uh, uh, the the song WAP by Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion, where it deals with uh, how black girls are seen as uh, less innocent, uh, viewed as less innocent than white girls starting at age five, 
Okay. And this talks about adultification bias. This article here we've talked about before. This is from HuffingtonPost.com. Uh, yeah, let's pull this up here. All this is connected. If you do not understand European white supremacy and racism, what it is and how it works, everything else you think you that you understand will confuse you. One of the most important things that they said uh, that uh, Mariba Knight said uh, in that interview uh, with Tashani Whitlow is that it's up to voters to vote this woman's ass out of office. This judge, she's elected by the people. She can be fired by the people. Gotta go, gotta go. Black girls are viewed as less innocent than white girls starting at age five study. The adultification of black girls leads to harsher disciplinary uh, treatment research found. Now, this is from uh, uh, June 27, 2017, HuffingtonPost.com. Let's go quickly to, um, uh, let me see, you know what? Okay, the piece from Media Sign, we'll, um, we'll play that uh, some offline because we're, we're out of time here. We'll probably play that on tomorrow's show. We'll probably continue this on tomorrow's show. I want to go back to the rest of this article here from the Black News Channel. Now, there, was, there were two, uh, two lawsuits, okay? There was a lawsuit in, uh, and let me see, where is this right here? There were two lawsuits. There was one against the city and there was one against the county. The one against the city was um, in 2017, uh, I think it was. There was one against the city and that was uh, like 300, uh, 300 some odd thousand dollars. Okay, $395,000. All 11 children piece here from uh, Black News Channel. All 11 children involved in the incident sued the county, uh, the city of Murfreesboro and several police officers. Beginning in 2017, uh, the children began receiving settlements for a combined total of $397,500 for some uh, for some of the children, the money was specifically set aside for counseling services, okay? Now, the county was also hit with a class action lawsuit accusing it of illegally arresting and jailing uh, children. The lawsuit was settled in June 2021, and the county agreed to pay $11 million to the children. Years prior in 2017, a federal judge ordered the county to stop using the filter system, to stop using the filter system. Now, now Judge Davenport, Donna Davenport, needs to be, who needs to be voted out of office, now Judge Donna Davenport and the detention center focus on detaining children from other counties. According to the investigation, 39 counties and the U.S. Marshals Service contract with Rutherford County, Tennessee for the facility. Okay, um, read this uh, uh, good reporting here from the Black News Channel. The clip that we just played is also uh, in, in this article, Tennessee County Exposed for History of Jailing Black Children. This piece is by Alisa uh, uh, Wilson, October 11, 2021, BNC.TV, the Black News Channel. All right, if you'd like to stop your information, be sure to register for the 10-week online course that I teach on Sundays from the Civil War to the uh, I mean, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understand the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they didn't teach you in school. That's at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Uh, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understand the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they didn't teach you in school. And then also, uh, I'll be 
at uh, Hartford Memorial Baptist Church uh, on Saturday, October 16th for their uh, social justice uh, conference 2021. My workshop is at uh, 10 a.m., room 306. Keynote speaker, Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison. Uh, visit their website for more information. Uh, the website is hmbcdetroit.org, hmbcdetroit.org. All right, we have to get those watching on Facebook and YouTube. Keep watching for a few more minutes. Right now, it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win Wakanda forever. And we'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. Stand by. Okay. Let's see here. We got this right here. Okay. Keith Ellison's keynote speaker. Uh, my workshop is on Saturday. The conference is Friday, October 15th through Sunday, October 17th. Check the website for times. Uh, the conference is $25. You can pay at the door. Let them know you want to uh, go to my workshop also. Let me refresh the screen here just a second here. Okay. All right. Okay. We're back. Um, so yeah, you can register for the, uh, when you get there, you can register at the door for the conference as well as the workshops. Okay. And uh, we'll put this information on our website, africanhistorynetwork.com uh, as well. Um, there are two online courses that I teach. We just talked about ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Also, the second one I teach is uh, on Saturdays, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. So all the classes are discounted. Uh, you can We do the sessions live. The, uh, all the sessions are archived. You can go back and watch them anytime. As soon as you register, there's archived content. You can start watching. Uh, you can watch the class we just did uh, this past weekend. And this class here picks up where understanding the transatlantic slave trade uh, leads off. Okay, so we focus on uh, what leads up to the Civil War taking place. We start with the Louisiana Purchase of 1803. And then we uh, look at uh, the Civil War Reconstruction, 1865 to um 1877, uh, we look at the uh, Compromise of 1877, which ends Reconstruction also. Uh, we look at uh, the Jim Crow era. And as we talked about in the beginning of the show, we look at the effort to uh, suppress the African-American vote, rewrite the rewrite the state constitutions, okay, um, that we see take place in uh, the 18, 1876 with Texas, but uh, 1890 with Mississippi and uh, other Southern states are going to uh, follow what Mississippi is doing. Uh, it becomes known as the Mississippi plan. They're passing uh, poll taxes and literacy tests to suppress the African-American vote. Uh, so we look at the Jim Crow era, World War One, World War Two, Great Migration, uh, uh, Civil Rights Movement, and Black Power Movement. OK, this is from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power. 1865 to 1968. So as soon as you register, you can watch the class we just did this past Saturday. Next class is going to be Saturday, October 23rd, because I'll be at the Social Justice Conference this coming Saturday. So um, uh, we'll have a little break in the class to give you, uh, you can go and watch uh, um, the class we just did this past Saturday and the one before that. All right. But this is an excellent class. And 
there was so much information in uh, the 10 week online course, uh, understanding the transatlantic slave trade. I could not deal with this type of information like I wanted to. This allows us to go in and each class analyze approximately a 10 year period of time. There's a timeline of history that we go through and then we look at significant events uh, things like this. We look at World War One, World War Two. We look at the Red Summer 1919. We had over 25 major race riots in this country the year after World War One ends. We look at the Spanish flu pandemic in 1918, 1919, and 1920, where you had 20 million to 50 million people who died worldwide. Some estimates say up to 100 million died worldwide. And then in the U.S., 675,000 died. And some of the same things that happened during the great pandemic in 1918 or the Spanish flu pandemic are taking place during the coronavirus pandemic as well. Okay. So we just posted a link here for this one. This is on sale $70, regularly $130 uh, from the civil war to the civil rights movement of black power, 1865 to 1968. With both of the classes, I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have book references, articles, video clips, uh, all of that in the class. So it's interactive and, um, you, you're going to learn a lot. All right. If you'd like this type of information, also you can support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, and at our website, africanhistorynetwork.com, africanhistorynetwork.com. Uh, what I'm going to do is we'll, we'll, we'll play this other clip. We'll, we'll deal with that on tomorrow's show because it's kind of lengthy and I got to get out of here. I got to work on my presentation. Oh, my presentation for my workshop on Saturday at the Social Justice Conference. My presentation is on black liberation theology uh, as a tool to fight white supremacy, black liberation theology as a tool to fight white supremacy. That's what my uh, workshop is going to be on at the uh, Social Justice Conference 2021 at Hartford Memorial Baptist Church. Okay. So I forgot to say what my um, uh, workshop is going to be on. Okay. But <laughs> you don't want to miss it. All right. Look, we have to get out of here. Um, let's see here. Let me pull this up. Um, okay. I said that dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App and through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Also through PayPal, if you want to set up for recurrent donations, you can do that as well. Uh, this is our official Cash App account right here. So when you go to it, it says Michael and it shows my picture here also. Dollar sign the AHN show, S H O W. Uh, these other ones are fake African History Network Cash App accounts. I did not set those up. That is not me. Okay. All right. We have to get out of here. Uh, we're here six days a week, Monday through Friday, 11 p.m. to midnight, and Sundays, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the African History Network show. Uh, you can go back and listen to the interview that I did with Dr. David M. Hotep. It's on about 10 different audio podcast platforms, uh, iHeartRadio, uh, iTunes, CastBox uploaded it today. We had Dr. David M. Hotep on yesterday. We did a little more than an hour. We kept going after the show was over with. Uh, on uh, 9, 10 a.m. WFDF here in Detroit. At our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, we have information for uh, the radio show. And then also if you click on Listen to Podcasts, it takes you to our Blog Talk radio page. And you can um, 
we have we have all of our podcasts uh, archived there, also audio podcasts. And then we broadcast on Facebook, the African History Network, and my YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep. So we have the video. Uh, we broadcast there live when we're on the radio, and the uh, videos of the shows are archived there as well. Okay, we have to get here. Remember, right now, let's correct your own behaviors. Not over till we win. We're kind of forever. And we'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. Thanks for tuning in. Black on Purpose Television Network. Yes, Black on Purpose Television Network. All black, all positive, all the time. The largest black-owned streaming television network in the world. Bringing our people together worldwide. Controlling our messages, our stories, our way. Black TV the way it should be. Black music, black history, and more. 30-plus channels, thousands of shows. Black on Purpose Television Network. Subscribe now. We all know the cannabis industry is headed toward an uprise in the past decade. What happens when there is a brand that brings this uprise in a blow? The cannabis industry welcomes her uprise. Hustle her hemp. Delivering excellence with pride is her watchword, and how you choose to embrace it makes it a priority. From cultivating rich cannabis into exquisite and tastefully finished CBD products to delivery, Hustler Hemp leaves no stone unturned. Hustler Hemp's mission is to empower women of color by building business and creating legacies, uniting beauty, health, and business. We are a pure definition of how we want the CBD industry to become in the future. While we are redefining innovation, we bring the same energy to improving the quality of life. Hustle Her Hemp is the new Uprise. Gain knowledge in minutes from insightful summaries of progressive and socially conscious books. Blacklisted gives you access to curated content that will satisfy your curiosity to learn and understand different perspectives. Empower yourself through inspirational and actionable ideas. It's easy to read or listen to on the go. Blacklisted. Empower yourself. Start your free trial today.